I'm excited about this new series. It's what makes me happy. And, and I was excited, and I'm sure you're excited too, to find out what makes me happy. So I've compiled a list of the different things. <laughs> I was actually thinking, you know, I asked myself this question, what are some of the things that make me happy? And I was thinking, you know, going in the mountains and hunting or fishing, that makes me happy. You know, seeing the Broncos win a football game, that makes me happy, right? I'm going to be happy today when we destroy the stinking Raiders, okay? I'm going to be happy. Well, I started thinking, there's a lot of things that make me happy. You know, I, uh, raising my beautiful daughters, that makes me happy. Being married to my smoking hot wife, that makes me happy. You got to know, I know how to get points in, right? Well... I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what, I want to ask my wife the same question. Really, i got to be honest, I was trying to get a pat on the back. I wanted to hear her say, baby, you make me happy. Being married to you, baby, that, that's what makes me happy. And I said, babe, what is it that makes you happy? And she goes, let me think about this. She goes, okay, well, like taking a jog in the rain, that, that makes me happy. Uh, you know, shopping, that makes me happy. Watching chick flicks, that makes me happy. And then she just kept going on and on and on. And I'm thinking at some point she's got to get around to me, you know. So finally I interrupted her for just a moment. And I said, wait, 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 wait. What about, you know, like being married to me? That's got to make you happier. And she's like, that's cute. And did I tell you shoes? They make me happy. That didn't make me happy, all right? <laughs> this statement, what makes me happy? What's interesting about it, we put a question mark on the title because it could be a statement. This is what makes me happy. It could be a question, what makes me happy. It could also be a promise. You think, why are we spending time talking about this in church? Well, the truth is for a lot of us in this room, not every one of us, but for a lot of us in this room, and, and this might be an offensive statement, but... But it's possible that there's some of us in this room, you don't know what makes you happy. Wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Well, here's how you know whether or not you know what makes you happy. If, is, is if you keep trying to be happy, you keep searching for happiness, you're looking to get happy, and you keep finding yourself unhappy. Maybe it is that you don't know what makes you happy. To back up, I said that this statement can be a promise. And there, there can be a promise of this is what will make you happy. Well, well how, can we, how can we buy into that? I mean, because we're faced with the promise of happiness all the time. In fact, every one of us, we're inundated with it. Anytime you open up a magazine or anytime you turn on the television, there's advertisers that are promising you happiness. They say, if you just have our product, then you're going to be happy. Or if you just vacation here, that's going to be what makes you happy. If you drive this car, then you're going to be happy. If you get the new iPhone, that's going to be what makes you happy. And the truth is, for a lot of us, we've wasted a lot of time and we've wasted a lot of money following those pursuits. You know, thinking, if I, just, if, if I can just get a hold of that, then, then that's going to be what makes me happy. And see, there's so many of us, you say, okay, well, there's a promise then for us to be happy. How, how can you even make a statement of that? Because, because the world promises happiness and it never seems to come together. And yet, we're going to look in the series how God promises happiness. And when he promises happiness, it's the type of happiness that, that's not going to ebb and flow with the circumstances of life. But it's the type of happiness that we can have sustained through our life. So there's a group of people in this room that... I would say you don't know what makes you happy, but I think the larger group of us in this room, maybe you knew what made you happy. Somewhere along the line, 
you forgot what has made you happy. So today, I want to jump into this, and this is how I want to start off. Why don't you go ahead and turn to the person that's sitting right next to you and ask them the question, what makes me happy? Ask them that question right now. What makes me happy? Okay, now look back at them and say, I don't have a clue. Would you pray with me before we jump into this? God, I know right now that no amount of words that come out of my mouth are going to be helpful at all if your Holy Spirit doesn't show up in this place and teach us and change us and grow us. So it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we come before you right now. We ask that you would come into this room. God, just anticipating in this series right now, I pray that, Jesus, you would break chains off of people in this room. That God, chains of depression, God, uh, chains of anger, chains of moodiness. God, where so many of us have been in pursuit of things and, and have just felt so trapped in life, we pray that you would free us. And God, we pray that we would experience the type of happiness and joy that you have for us. So God, open up your word to us. Help us to see and understand and know your love more. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So guys, we don't have too much time left this morning, but I want to cover a couple things in this first week of the series, kind of like an overview. I want to talk about the big ideas that we're going to jump into this next couple of weeks, and then we're going to dive into them in depth in the weeks to come. And I hope this will be a series that you would invite friends and family to come to. I hope it's a series that you would commit to, to making sure you're at for this next six weeks as we're, we're diving into this together because God wants us to be happy. So I want to go ahead and just jump into one of the most powerful statements that we're going to say over this six weeks period, and it's this. We're going to have it on the side screens. It says this. Happiness is more about who than what. Let me say that again. Happiness is more about who than what. If you're taking notes, write that down, okay? If you're not taking notes, write that down, Okay? Happiness is more about who than what. If you think about it, this is a lesson that many of us learned in like kindergarten. When we were little kids, we can look back on the experiences we had in life and, and think about the times we were happy. And it's always tied more to a who than a what. It, think about it. When you were playing catch in the backyard with your dad, it didn't matter what you had. It, it mattered who you were with. When you're in kindergarten playing with your friends, it, you didn't have to have the coolest thing. It, it was about who you were with. And really... Our experiences and our happiness as children was tied to who more than what. And this continued through the different stages of life as we grew up and things changed for us socially and we like got into middle school and stuff. You can remember looking back on middle school. There was, there was the people that, that like the haves and haves nots, like you're only cool if you have these things or those things. But when we look back, we can't even remember what those things were. And we look back and, and what we remember our, our happiness was tied to was more the question of, you know, who did I sit with in the cafeteria? We're, we're, the sad times are the times I was alone, but the, the times I had friends, the times I was, played football with those guys, the, the times I had people save seats for me in the cafeteria, those were the times because our happiness is tied more to a who than a what. And see, our parents caught on to this and knew how important this was, so they try to do things in order to be able to get us around the right people. So what parents would do, and many of you have experienced this, some of you are doing this right now with your kids. And the plan is that if we can, if we can have enough cool stuff at our house, then our house will be the hangout and we can spy on our kids, right? 
this, this is exactly what I experienced growing up. This is something that Omni and I have been joking about uh, when it comes to our parenting style. Is maybe you experience this. All of a sudden you're like, you're going into your freshman year in high school. And all of a sudden your parents take a loan out and they're going to put a pool in your backyard. Like, where's this coming from? When I was younger, we didn't have a pool. Now, all of a sudden, you want to have a pool. And then they buy a, a PS whatever or an Xbox whatever and, and stick it there in your house because they're trying to think, you know, if, if we get enough what, that's going to attract the right who's. And if we have the right who's around my kids, then, then certainly they're going to be better off. But what happens there is sometimes it backfires because the principle is never about the what. Yeah, it's exciting, but... But maybe you've experienced it as well where you've done all that. You've put the pool in the backyard. You've got the Xbox. You've got the cool hangout at your house. And yet you see that your kids don't hang out at your house. They go hang out over there. And it's not as nice. And they don't have the pool. And they don't have all the fun. Because what your kids know and are experiencing right now, and they probably aren't able to regurgitate to you, but, but they experience it, is that it's more tied to who they're spending time with than what. See, happiness is tied to a who or two. And it's something that every one of us need to recognize because we go through life sometimes thinking, you know, if I can just get the right what, I'll be happy. But if happiness was tied to a what, the truth is you would be happy. You would be happy because then it doesn't matter what happens at work. You can just, if I could just go home and get my what, then I'm going to be happy. Doesn't matter that my boss was a jerk today. My, I got in a fight with my spouse. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go spend time with my what, and then I'm gonna have so much better of an experience. But the problem with what is what always leads to what else, right? It's like caffeine happiness. It's like it's exciting for a moment, but then it wears off. And we've all experienced this because think about it. You loved your new iPhone, right? Until the newer iPhone came out. And then it's not as cool anymore. You loved your new car, and then there was a new model. You loved your new spouse, and then, wait, let's not go there. So it's week one. It's just week one. We're not, we'll get start off nice and slow and move, move in easy on this. But, but whatever that was, it, it was exciting. It was new. And then, and then the new wears off, just like a, a caffeine high. It wears off, and then and it doesn't have the same effect anymore. I mean, I can remember my whole life growing up, I always wanted a boat. As a little boy, we'd go fishing. I'm like, Someday I'm going to have a boat. Someday I'm going to have a boat. It's going to be so awesome. And several years back, I bought a boat. It was so cool. And I remember I was proud of this thing. I didn't even go put it in the lake. I kept it on the trailer and drove it around town. Just because I wanted people to see me, I got my boat. You see my boat? It's awesome. Just this last week, I had someone call and ask if they could borrow my boat, and I had to think. I'm like, oh, I got to go to storage and unpack all that stuff off the top of my boat and get all the dust off of it so I can even get it out. It's like, when it was new, it was awesome, but then the new wears off. And any time an aging what deflates your happiness, you recognize that that aging what never made you happy in the first place. See, it's a principle that if we, can, if we can understand this, and see, here's the tricky thing. We know this. We know this. We've learned it. We learn it so many times over and over and over again, but there's this draw to go back to the things. So if I can just get the right thing, then I'm going to be happy. But happiness is always tied to who, not what. Here's a couple points that will just kind of back up this principle, and that's one of the things we say around church or we've noticed in church is what we call mission syndrome. 
Mission syndrome is, a mission is when someone leaves with like a small group of people and they go to another part of the world and they serve people who are maybe poor, maybe haven't heard about Jesus. They, they share the good news with them and they help impoverished people around the world. Going on missions. There's many of you in this room who have been on missions. Many of you know other people who have gone on missions. But anytime someone goes on a mission, we see mission syndrome happen. And this is what happened. You, a person leaves their nice, comfortable house, their air-conditioned room, their comfy bed, and, and they park their $50,000 vehicle at the airport, and they fly to the other side of the world, and they end up in a tribe of people where now all of a sudden you're sitting down on the mud in a jungle, and you're looking around, and there's nothing there. And you realize, I was just complaining about the fact that my, my truck is a couple years old now. And you look around and go, this entire village doesn't even own a truck. And the shocking thing comes when, when I've heard people say this over and over and over again, when they look into the eyes of these men and women who don't have anything, some of them don't even have a pair of shoes, they look into their eyes and they see, and they're shocked by this, they go, I look into their eyes and I see more joy and more happiness and more contentment than anything I've ever experienced in my life, and they don't have anything. And they come back and it disturbs people. People come back just wrecked by this and go, I don't get it because I have so much and I, I can't just stop going for more. I have to get more. I'm always trying to get the next thing, the newer thing. And I look on the, the other side of the world, here a group of people are, they don't have anything and, and yet they're so much happier than I am. See, it, it just goes to prove, what is that? It, it just goes to prove as evidence that our happiness is tied to who, not what. Happiness is relational in nature. To take it a lot more serious for just a moment, another point to prove this, Amelie and I have many uh, friends and, and family members who have struggled with infertility. It hasn't been our struggle by any means, that's just not our story, but, but we've seen one couple after another who have struggled with infertility and we've seen the battle of what they're dealing with waiting for a child, waiting for someone to love. Because as I think about it with Amelie and I, before we had kids, we didn't love any kids. I mean, we thought they were cute, we, we liked them, we played with them, we, we'd hang out with, with the kids of some of our friends, but, but we didn't love any kids. We, we were waiting for our children to be born because we were waiting for children to love. And if you've ever been in a struggle of infertility, you know that there's no what, there's, there's, there's no thing that can replace the fact that you're looking for a relationship that can be fulfilling with you giving love in that way. Uh, let me put it to you another way. When you're at the end of your life, there will be relational regrets. There will be no possessional regrets. Uh, let me say it this way. When you're on your deathbed, ladies, you're not, you're not going to call to your husband and say, Honey, could you go home and just get all my shoes and bring them up here to the hospital room? Because if I could just get, don't forget the red high heels. If I could just get a little more time with those shoes, then, then I'm going to feel fulfilled. Then I'm going to be okay, right? No, we're not, like, man, it's, it's, yeah, we collect things. You might, whether it's your gun collection, whether it's cars, whatever it is, you're not going to get to the end and be like, could you just wheel me out into the parking lot? If I could spend a couple more minutes with my car, then I'm going to be okay. No. We look at that and go, how ridiculous. It's, it's elementary, that, that idea altogether. We know that it's going to be the relationships that we care about more and more and more. And we want to reconcile those relationships in the end. It's because happiness by nature is relational. It's tied to a who, not a what. 
So with this first principle, I guess, to, to kind of tie it together, well, first, let, let me take pause in, in this moment right now, because I think I need to address a group of people in this room, and, and let's, let's be honest, this, this group is primarily men, who would say, you know what, I don't need anyone to be happy. I don't, I don't need a single person to be happy in my life. And, and let's be honest, there's a group of you in this room today that you would say that. And you'd say, you know what, I, no, this message isn't for me. I don't need anyone. Well, well, there are two types of people that make the statement, I don't need anyone to be happy. The first group of people is this. You have so many people in your life that you have never experienced life without friends and family that love you. You have so many people that you've never experienced isolation so you say, yeah, I don't need people because you've never gone without people. It's like, it's like someone uh, who would say, you know what, I, yeah, I could go on a diet. I don't need food. Well, you've never gone without food, so you don't know what it's like. And, and I, I'd say I fall into this category. <laughs> Not the food thing, but <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> but I fall into this category when it comes to relationships. I, I, I've been so blessed, so fortunate in the fact that that. My entire life, I've had relational options. I've had people around me, family around me, friends around me who love me and who care for me. So it would be so incredibly arrogant for me to say, yeah, I don't need people because I've never experienced time without people in my life. That's the first type of person who would say that. The, the second type of person who would say I don't need people would, are the type of person that you cannot fix your isolation so you tell yourself you're fine. You can't fix your isolation, so you tell yourself you're fine. You say, you know what, I don't need anyone. I, 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 I'm fine. I'm making it through life on my own. i got to tell you, that that's a dangerous place to be. And if that's you, you need this series. You need what we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this in the weeks to come. Because it's, it's a defense mechanism to say, I don't need other people. You know, I, I'm, I'm fine by myself. We try to make ourselves feel better. But ultimately, you are robbing someone else of the support that your relationship with them can give. That God created you to be in a relationship so that you can help someone else and encourage them. And if you get this isolation attitude, I don't need anyone, I'm fine on my own. If you buy into that, you're ultimately robbing someone else that God wants you to help. And then there's benefits from them helping you back as well. So I guess this first big idea that we're jumping into is, you know, what makes me happy? What ma- with the question, what makes me happy? The answer is no thing. No thing. No material thing. Nothing makes me happy. Well, that sounds very negative, but the truth is, as we look at this, relationships are what make us happy. You know, happiness is tied more to a who than a what. So there's no material thing that can make you happy. However, this is where it gets a little confusing because there's one thing that all happy people have. And it's not a material thing. It's an intangible. It's something that, that, that all happy people possess. And all happy people have peace. They have peace. If you think about it, if you take just a moment and kind of pause and look at people in your life and say, you know what, I'd say this is a real happy person and that's a real happy person. You can look at them and see that they're, they're, they're at peace. They're at peace, first of all, with themselves. Have you ever met someone who's like, they're just comfortable in their own skin. They're just fine. doesn't matter what's happened to them. doesn't matter what the circumstances of their life are. I mean, you look at their circumstances and you freak out. You're like, man, are you even paying attention? Are you in denial right now? Do you see how messed up your life is? And like, no, man, I'm just fine. <laughs> like, what is that? That's just peace. 
You know, being comfortable in your own skin, not trying to be someone else, not trying to act like someone else, not trying to pre- pretend. Happy people, they're, they're at peace with themselves. They're also at peace with other people. You know, they're not really holding on to unforgiveness from the past. They're not really trying to get back at someone or get revenge at someone. You might hear someone else's story. And how many times does this happen? Someone tells you their story. This happened to me. That happened to me. My spouse did this to me. My father did that to me. And you hear it. And it's like you get offended. And you're angry for them. You're like, I can't believe they did that. They need to, you, we need to pay them back, man. And I'm like, no, no. I, I just want to forgive and move on. Have you ever met someone like that? It, it can be disturbing sometimes if you've never seen it before. Just, they're, they're just at peace with other people. They're not looking to, to churn on the inside to, to, to think, how can I plot and plan to get back at this person, to seek revenge, to, to even the scales out, right? Happy people are at peace with themselves, they're at peace with others, and then they're at peace with God. See, if you ever meet someone who's truly happy, you'll recognize that there are, there are people who believe that there's more to life than just this life. You know, they're confident that God's going to bring justice in the end, that he's going to bring everything together. And they know, you know what, I have a relationship with God, I'm at peace with him, I'm okay with him. So it doesn't matter what else is going on around me, I, I'm okay. Week after week, I, I get to see people as they go through extremely difficult circumstances, right out of this room. You go through difficult circumstances and you're fine. Say, man, how you doing? Holding together. And the answer that comes back every time is like, you know what? I know God's got me. God's going to take care of me. They're at such peace with God. They know they're going to be perfectly fine. See, if this is true, what we've talked about so far, that happy people are at peace, then anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. If we went around the room and we talked about our regrets and things that we failed at and things we want to do better at and say, you know what, if I look at some of my biggest regrets in life, it's probably tied to some point where you broke the peace with yourself, with someone else, or with God. And as soon as you break the peace and like there was community in a relationship and now there's a separation in that relationship, it's like that's when you go, I want to do over. I want to go back. If I could just fix that, I wish I could go back and fix that. How many times have we tied it to regret and said, I wish I could just go back and have a do over? It's because any time that you undermine your peace, you're ultimately undermining your happiness. It's interesting because Jesus talked about this. There was a lawyer that asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? In fact, you've probably, you, you've probably heard the verse before, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I think before we go any further, we don't generally think of laws being connected to our happiness. A lot of times we think, Laws are in direct opposition of our happiness because laws are the do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. Uh, Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. And we think laws are just holding us back from the things we want to do. And and here we go. In in light of what we talked about so far, here this lawyer is. What he really cares about is the law. All the law in the Bible. And he's asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, of all the laws, what's the most important? What's the most important? Do not do this. Don't do that. Don't cuss. Don't chew. Don't hang out with girls who do. You know, what's going to be the the verse? I was born in the South. That was instilled into me. 
What's going to be the don't that is going to make our lives better? And Jesus comes back. Look at this now. Listen to the answer. Jesus replied, love. No. No, that's not what I asked, Jesus. I asked, what's the command that we shouldn't do? Like, like what's the greatest command? Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, I think you misunderstood the question. Jesus, I didn't misunderstand the question. Listen to me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See, this doesn't sound very commanding to me. In fact, it sounds extraordinarily relational. What Jesus is saying is the most important thing is, is that God loves you, so you should love him. God wants to be at peace with you, so you should make peace with God. So the most important thing is, is that you have a God who loves you, so love that God who loves you. And then you, you know this, you know that, that Jesus ties it together. And watch now, listen how Jesus brings the other two components of our happiness together in this statement. He says, he says the first is the, uh, this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. So you can't do one without the other. This is a package deal. See? And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it, if you're familiar with this passage, I can't overemphasize how, how profound what Jesus just said is. Jesus is saying what is most important is that you're at peace with God, you're at peace with others, and you're at peace with yourself. So you should love God and make peace with God. You should love others and, and be at peace with others as you are with yourself. So wait a minute. Jesus, that, that sounds like you think we should be happy. I do. And see, it's because this wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like God was just thinking, you know what, um, you know, we finished creation, now let's just throw a little thing called happiness into the mix. God designed you and created you with the capacity to be happy. And he wants you to be happy. He wants you to go through life fulfilled, the Bible says. An abundant life, the Bible says. A blessed life, the Bible says. So he's saying, if we break it down, what's the most important thing is that you love God, you're at peace with God. You love others, you're at peace with others, and you love yourself, you're at peace with yourself. But I think I, like a lot of people in this room, when I was younger, I felt like God was in the way of my happiness. Because there's this tension, and for many of you is why you were out of church for a couple years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. You found yourself away from church because you felt like there was this tension between I can either be a good Christian or I can be happy. And it's like we have this attitude and what, what I know about myself and what I know about many of you is that we will not be unhappy for any long period of time unless it is completely necessary circumstances. We're on a quest for happiness and that's what we're going to talk about this next week. That it's a good thing that God has put it in you to search for happiness, to look for it, to continue to find happiness. He's put it in you but, but what we recognize is if we feel like something's getting in the way of our happiness then ultimately we, we pull back from it. And I think because of the way God was presented to me as a kid, I got confused and I was thinking, well, well, God's probably got all these things I shouldn't do and I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't do this. So ultimately he's in the way of my happiness. But what we see Jesus says about our God is that God wants to be at peace with you and he wants you to be at peace with other people and peace with yourself. What God cares about for you is that you're happy. So maybe it's not that God's in the way of your happiness. 
Maybe God is the way to your happiness. Maybe it's, maybe it's all these times we think, you know what, God's in the way, God's in the way, God's in the way, that, that truthfully he's pointing the way all along and he's saying all these other things you're doing, the, the, search for the material things. You know, you can go after those. You can find those. You can, but once you have it, it's not going to lead to any sort of fulfillment. It's not going to lead to any sort of happiness. He says, I want you to be at peace. And I think if we were to pass the microphone around and, and just start off and say, you know, what, what, let's talk about our biggest regret. What's the worst thing you ever did? Let's, let's start with you. <laughs> that would take way too long. We won't do that. <laughs> but if I were to pass the microphone around, every one of us, we could look back at something, and, and here's what I know. It would be tied to breaking peace with God, with others, or with ourselves. There's one more big idea that, that I want to talk about before we close the service and as we jump into this series, and it's the idea of sin. Can you just say that with me? Say the word sin. Sin. Like, some of you are going, oh man, here we go. I'm at church, of course, they're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about sin. Well, what is sin? Sin, in its simplest form, sin is missing the mark, and the mark set by God. To, to break it down and just make it as simple as possible, sin is doing what you know you shouldn't do. We all have standards that, that we feel like we should live up to, and we don't even live up to those own standards. Maybe it's easier to break it down like this. We have standards that we think other people shouldn't do to us. You shouldn't think that way about my sister or my spouse. You shouldn't do that to me. Those actions towards me, that's wrong. And we think that about other people. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, do we do those things ourselves? And the truth is, for every one of us, we don't live up to our own standards. Because we set the bar and say, I shouldn't do that. And then we turn around and do it anyways. That's what the Bible says is sin. But even beyond that, not living up to our own standards, the Bible says that it's God who sets the mark. So even if your standards are super low and we don't live up to them, God's got great standards. And in fact, we see the Bible says Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. God has a great standard for life and every one of us have missed that mark. And here's what I know about all sin, whether you feel like it's a big thing or a small thing, is that sin separates Sin separates us, first of all, from other people. In fact, you can think about the last relational conflict you had, and if you think about it, someone sinned. You might think it was their fault, and they might think it's your fault, and it could have been both of your fault. But, but what we know is someone sinned, and it, and it caused separation. It caused a division. It's like the, the relationship was okay, and then sin entered the picture, and now there's a separation. There used to be a close relationship, and now... Now, it hardly exists at all. There's a great divide. Anytime sin enters the equation, it separates. It separates us from other people, and it separates us from God. See, one of the simplest ways, there are so many, we could get into this for, for weeks, talking about how it separates us from God. But one of the simplest things that we need to understand about this is that, that the primary reason, not, not the only reason, when you sin against other people, you sin against someone that God loves. We say that again. When you sin against another person, you're sinning against someone that God loves. 
So there are a lot of times we go through life and we think we can just be at odds with another person, and yet the Bible shows us that just being at odds with another person even separates us from God. Because you, you can't say, you know what, God, I, I'm not okay with your kids. You know, they drive me nuts, but God, I'm okay with you, right? You can't mistreat my kids and then say, but Dan, me and you are okay. No, we're not okay. You mess with my kids, you mess with me. And God, in the same way, is saying, listen, these are my kids whom I love, and I want you to be at peace with them because I want you to be at peace with me. So sin separates us from others. It separates us from God, but it also separates us from ourselves. What do you mean by that? Every one of us could, could fill in this blank. We could say, if I ever, I could not live with myself anymore. If I ever blank, I wouldn't be able to live with myself anymore. You know, I couldn't face myself in the mirror. I couldn't, I, I just don't even know what I would do. Because we know, and, and here's what you and I know. We know that, that you can be at odds with yourself. That you can, if you live in sin, you could be in a place where you don't even like the person you are. You look in the mirror and you're frustrated and you, you get it all together and you, you, you get dressed up and you look nice and you're feeling sharp. But then you know on the inside there's something not right there. And what is that? That's sin. And when we let sin get in, it separates. And sin separates by substituting. It substitutes things for people. Images for intimacy. Substitutes experience for exclusivity. It ultimately substitutes the immediate for the ultimate. So there's this beautiful picture in the moments we have left. There's this beautiful picture that that James wrote talking about sin. Now James was Jesus's brother. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus's brother? Like think of the pressure that would go with that. James is Jesus's little brother. Could you imagine just people like, man, why can't you be more like Jesus, right? No one ever made a W, uh, what, would, what would James do bracelet, right? <laughs> There's a lot of pressure there. You might get that later. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure there, but we see James, he's growing up, watching Jesus, loving Jesus, learning and growing from Jesus. And as he does, he, he gives us one of the most profound statements about sin we see in all the Bible. And it says this, James 1.15, then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Think of the, intimate, uh, the imagery here. So he's saying, there's, you got this cute little sin, this cute little baby sin. I get the, it's so cute, it could just sleep at the end of the bed, it's fine. But don't you know, you can see something when it's in an infancy stage, and it looks really cute, but you don't know what it's going to grow up into. Like, They don't tell you when you go to the pet store that that cute little kitty is going to grow up into a full-grown demon, right? I'm sorry, cat people. I apologize. Like That was wrong. Kittens don't grow up into demons. They start off as demons. (laughs) I'm sorry. Just write me an email. We'll see if it gets to me. But, but you know what I mean, like something that looks cute in the beginning, but then when it grows up, it's something completely different, something that you didn't expect that it would turn into. It says when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. See, every one of us have experienced this. We allowed a little sin into our relationship. It was just a little sin, a little cute, little, little baby. It's not going to hurt anyone, nothing, nothing bad, and then, and then it grew up. It became a full-grown sin, and now, and now she won't call you anymore. 
Now he's not even around. You haven't had the chance to talk to him. And somewhere along the way, the relationship died. Why? Because sin, when it grows up, it, it turns into death. And, and you lost the job. And, and you didn't think it was that big of a deal. And it wasn't at first. But it grew into something that, that, that ultimately, it destroyed your relationships. It destroyed your peace with other people. It destroyed your peace with God. It destroyed your peace with yourself. And now all of a sudden, you're looking at your life and going, I am not happy. It's like James is saying, listen, I'm trying to warn you here. Sin, it might seem cute. It might seem like no big deal. But when you allow sin into a relationship, it's going to destroy the relationship. And if it destroys the relationship, it destroys your peace. And anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. So to review, as, as we're going to be jumping into this series together, well, well, what makes me happy? There's no material thing that makes me happy. And happy people are at, are at peace with God, peace with others, and peace with themselves. Would you stand with me before we go? So this is, this is the big deal, and this is why I'm so energized about this, and this is why we're going to spend so much time talking about this, is because, because it breaks my heart like it breaks many of yours. To watch people who unintentionally undermine their own happiness and then spend seasons of their life trying to find happiness again in ways that will never make them happy. So as we get into this series, we're going to look at the fact that if, if happiness is something that you want, and if happiness is something that God wants for you, then I think every one of us need to go through this journey together and look, God how can I be happy? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you need some happiness, I want to encourage you to make the commitment to be here every week. If you go, no, I wish my sister was here. I wish my cousin was here. Oh, well, the good news is we got this online, and you can listen to this series online and then have them with you this coming Sunday. Invite your friends. Bring your friends because God wants us to live a life that's fulfilled and that's abundant and that's full of happiness. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you don't want us to just push through life and survive, but you want us to be happy. Thank you for the fact that you want us to be at peace with you, and peace with others, and peace with ourselves. And I pray that you would open doors for us to be able to do that as we go on this journey together. We love you so much, and I pray that you be with us. Help us, God. Direct us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give our God a shout of praise. He's good. Love you guys. Hope to see you next week.